greatest danger of the world is not people who don't know things, which is good because I'm a person who doesn't know a lot of things. But he said the greatest danger in the world is not people who don't know things, but people who know so many things that just ain't so. Uh, Have you ever met somebody who just is absolutely certain of something that is absolutely wrong? You ever met somebody like that? I do. Every morning that I look in the mirror. Um, It is a real thing. Uh, I think all of us can say we've had experiences before where we have been absolutely certain of something that ended up not being correct. And usually when you figure out that you've been wrong about something, it's either a wonderful life-improving truth or something explodes. Um, that some, something goes really well or something goes poorly as soon as you uh, correct it. Well, I don't think there has been any more misinterpreted necessary truth in the history of the world than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, anybody, what... what passage in the Bible is it that says God helps those who help them? Where's that at? I think it's in Hezekiah. Yes, Hezekiah sounds about right. Second hesitations, something like that. It's not in your Bible. It's right next to cleanliness is next to godliness. That's in, it's right next to that verse. Neither of those are in your Bible. Your Bible does not say God helps those who help themselves. Your Bible says God helps the helpless. Which we are. The gospel is often misinterpreted as if you try really hard and you do really well and you give it your absolute best, God will give you credit and have mercy on you. But that's not what the the Bible actually says. That's not the gospel. That's the misinterpretation. The truth of it is... We are all busted and broke down people. Did I lie? No. Y'all sitting there quiet. It's like y'all think y'all good or something. We're not. The message of the Bible is that we're not good people and that God knows that. God knows that about us. And that God loved us enough to come down here into the muck and the mire and the mess and to drag us out of it We don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. In case you've never noticed, that's physically impossible. You can't do it. God does it. So today I want us to look at one of the more difficult books in Scripture, but one of the more necessary ones, Romans. And we're going to read Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and see how the gospel has absolutely nothing to do with the effort that we put in. So if you'll stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And if you're not careful, this may actually change your life. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Now, this ought to sound familiar. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Father, I pray that as we study your word this morning, you'll bless us to understand it, to know you better, or maybe if somebody in here has never understood the gospel before, to come to know you for the first time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, a title of the sermon this morning, that's not how this works, uh, because that's usually what someone who actually knows tells you when you make a bad assumption. That's not how this works. The assumption surrounding Christianity that has surrounded it for so long, so much so that I actually heard it parroted by one of our many uh, wise late night show hosts in the United States was he so aptly summed up his belief of Christianity is, well, that's what Christians believe, right? That you do good things and God lets you into heaven. And if you don't do good things, God throws you into hell. That's the way he thought Christianity worked. Sadly, that's the way a lot of folks sitting in our pews think too. That if you do good stuff, God loves you and God blesses you. And if you do bad things, God punishes you and sends you to hell. That's not what we believe at all. At least that's not the way the gospel works. And that's not how Paul explains it in Romans chapter 4. Now you've got to understand, I'm, I'm, I'm not cutting corners this morning. But I can't explain the argument as thoroughly as Paul did. Because if you want me to explain the argument as thoroughly as Paul did, Romans has a lot. We're not going to go all the way to the end of the book. We're not going to go all the way to chapter 16. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to stay right here in 4. But the whole book is a unified argument. So I'm going to try and make the point that Paul makes in the first eight verses this morning. And we're just going to split it into two halves. We're going to split it into contrast. And the first half is that God doesn't owe you anything for your works. God doesn't owe us anything for our works. Verses 1 and 2, Paul says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. There are some assumptions at play in this passage. Romans is kind of a misnomer. Because Paul is not actually writing it just... When you hear Romans, you would think Gentiles. So in the Jewish mind, the world is divided into two groups of people. There are the Jews that are part of God's Old Testament covenant community, that they understand the rules and the regulations and all the things you're supposed to do and not do and wear and not wear and eat and not eat. And then there's the Gentiles, which is kind of a, a, a catch-all. Uh, the Hebrew word would be goyim. Sometimes it's translated nations. Sometimes it's translated Gentiles. Sometimes it's translated, you know, the people of the earth, you know, whatever. There's everybody else. And these are those nasty pig-eating, barbecue-loving, mixed-fabric-wearing, whatever you would have them, not Jewish people that don't follow the rules and the regulations. They're unclean. They're nasty. They're whatever. That's us. <laughs> um, so there, there are only two groups in the Jewish mind. There are the Jews and there are the Gentiles. And Romans is written to a group of Jews that is afraid Israel is getting replaced by the church. That they're afraid that God has just kind of turned his back on the Jewish people and he's coming after the Gentiles and he loves them and then now what's happening to Israel? And Paul's whole point in the whole book is, guys, he's not abandoning you. Jews and Gentiles are saved the same way. They're saved by the same blood of the same Jesus who died on the same cross and you're all justified by faith. That's the whole book in a nutshell. So Jews don't hate the Gentiles. Gentiles, y'all need to love the Jews because the same Jesus died for both of you. 
But he's writing this book to Jews and he's got to convince them of this. That God's not abandoning you in favor of the Gentiles. So he goes to make this argument and he goes straight for the jugular. Because if you're a Jew, who's the one man, other than maybe Moses, that nobody's going to have a bad word to say anything against? Abraham. You don't talk about Abraham in a bad way. In fact, most of us, there are a ton of people in the world over right now, confused or not, who won't talk about Abraham in a bad way. Even a Muslim, if you talk to a Muslim, they're not going to say a bad word about Abraham. We Christians, we got, we got songs about Abraham. You can, I, you can sing it if you want to. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. See, y'all know the song. Y'all didn't think I was going to stand up here and clap, did you? So you can sing the song about Abraham. Abraham's even important to us. You know, we think of Abraham as he's kind of this paragon of righteousness that he's so he's good. But honestly, go back and read Genesis. Gentlemen, have any of you ever ventured into a new town and looked across the car seat at your wife and said, Honey, baby, darling, you are gorgeous. And she goes, I know. I did my makeup. And you go, you are so beautiful that I want you to tell them you are my sister. And smoke and steam start coming out of the ears and she says, excuse me? And he says, because they will look upon your beauty and desire you and they will kill me and you will live. So tell them you are my sister that it may go well with me. And she goes, it ain't going to go well for you. You just like you won't even call me your wife. Not only did Abraham do this, he did it. And then he taught his son to do it. Abraham, paragon of righteousness, tells everybody his wife is his sister. Abraham, wonderful individual that we should model our entire lives about. Shacks up with his wife's servant because she can't have a baby. Abraham, wonderful model citizen. God says, depart from your father's family and from your land and everything. Okay, hey Lot, come with me. You can just find item after item after item after item after item that Abraham flat didn't listen Was Abraham righteous? Well, you would say, well, maybe a Jew look at you. Absolutely he was. Yes, he was righteous. Why? Well, because Scripture says he was. Correct. But now we've got to figure out why. Verse 4 says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? Now, all according to the flesh means is by his own effort. <clears throat> what did he do? What did he get for what he did? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. So the assumption is that Abraham was righteous. Our question is, how did he get that way? How did Abraham get justified? How did he gain the title of righteous? Well, the Jewish assumption would have been by working hard and achieving it. That was the Jewish religious mindset. 
Jews had 600-something odd laws that God gave them at Sinai. He gave them to Moses, and Moses comes down, and they're already not obeying them. But the, most of the Old Testament is them coming to grips with the fact that we got all these rules and we can't keep them. But Abraham's righteous. So if Abraham's righteous, that must have meant that he, he was a pretty good rule keeper, right? He worked hard, and he achieved it. So Paul says if he was justified by works... If he worked hard, if he achieved it, then he's got something to what about? Boast about. What does it mean to boast? Puff that chest out. Hold that chin a little bit higher. It doesn't matter if somebody's six foot three, your ego towers over them with zero hesitation. Boasting is letting everybody know how great you are. You do your best Muhammad Ali impersonation. I am the greatest. I am the most righteous. I am the most spotless, cleanest, holiest person you will ever see. That kind of thing. Now let me ask you something about boasting. Or let me tell you something about boasting. I am a diehard fan of the University of Georgia Bulldogs. So much so that at Christmas, I even thought about wearing it, but it, it didn't match the rest of my clothes. At Christmas, someone gave me a Georgia tie. I even thought about wearing it to make a point. When I wear it, I usually match it with my Georgia socks. I've got Georgia clothing for every season of the year. I love my Bulldogs. And because I love my bulldog, sometimes I look down at Mark Bowers and say, Mark, I can't stand you. Because I like bragging about my bulldogs. I love talking about them when they whoop up on somebody, particularly if they're partial to blue and orange. It doesn't matter what shades of blue and orange. If you wear it, you deserve to lose. All day, every day, twice on Sunday, twice on Saturday. You shouldn't be playing on Sunday. Just say it. Can't stand you. If it's Auburn blue and orange, Florida blue and orange, Clemson, you got one of the two on YouTube. But if you go by this little town in the middle of nowhere called Tuscaloosa, and you look at their football helmets, not when they're wearing them. When they're wearing them, they match their uniform numbers. You know where I'm going with this? If you just see an Alabama football helmet, you'll see a, a number on the side of it. What's that number currently? Do you know? It's gone up. 17? Is it 17? That's not a football player number. It's the number of national championships the University of Alabama has won. Now, I'm a Georgia fan, but I'm also an objectivist. I'm a realist. If I'm going to boast about national championships that Georgia has won, my number is not 17, it's two. I'm going to find a Vanderbilt fan. You know? I'm going to find somebody that I can look at and say, ha! You've never won one. 
And then slowly Al the elephant from Tuscaloosa walks up behind me and whispers ominously in my ear, 17. And I get reminded that you only get to boast to people you've accomplished more than. It's kind of stupid to boast to somebody who's better than you. That hurt. Oh, that hurt. But objectively, if there is a measure and somebody else comes out better on that measure than you, you don't really boast to that person, do you? No. You don't have any right to. So we're talking about righteousness. And Paul says, so we admit that Abraham's righteous. And all the Jews go, yeah, of course he was righteous. How'd he get that way? Well, he buckled up, his, 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 he, he strapped up, and he put his pads on, and he got to work, and he earned it. So he worked for his righteousness. So does he have something to boast about? Yeah! Can he boast about it before God? Is Abraham more righteous than God? No. Clearly he's not. Well, you can only boast about Something to somebody who's better, who's worse than you. Abraham can't boast toward God. How do I know that? <clears throat> well, remember I told you Romans was a continuing argument. What does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and what? Fall short of whose glory? God's. God is the standard of goodness and righteousness, he is the definition of goodness itself. That if something is good, it is only good insofar as it resembles God. If something is righteous, it is only righteous insofar as it resembles God. We even have a word for this. We call it godly. If you live a godly life, like Scripture calls you to, you're living a life that reflects the character of God. That He's kind of our measuring stick. You ever been to Six Flags or, or, or somewhere like that and they've got the sign up that says you must be this tall to ride this ride? It's kind of like there's a line on the chart that says you must be this tall to be called righteous and the line just says God. And if you don't hit that line, you don't get to be called righteous. Right? But that's a problem for us because we don't think about righteousness that way. We think about righteousness on a scale, right? We think about righteousness like somewhere way over here is, is the bottom of the barrel. These are the, these are the folks that they're just they're unclean. I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want to touch them. I don't want them in my house. I don't want to be in their house. I don't want them around my kids. I don't even want them around my pets. It might rub off. And then over here, oh, these are fine church-going people. They tithe. They pray. They go to Sunday school. They might even be Sunday school teachers. They're pastors, they're missionaries. These are the, the cream of the crop. 
And the rest of us fall somewhere kind of in the middle, right? Righteousness is a scale. You're somewhere between I don't want you within 10 feet of my dog and taking the gospel to the Zulu. Right? You're somewhere in between there. God doesn't look at righteousness that way. God looks at righteousness like that sign at the theme park. You must be this tall to be called righteous, and his name's just the, the mark. But Romans 3.23 says nobody measures up to that mark. Isaiah 64.6 says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That Scripture looks at us and says, even on your best day, your righteousness, what you think is righteousness, what I think is righteousness, even when we look at ourselves in the mirror at the end of the day and go, whoa, I did good today, Scripture says, uh-uh, it's filthy. That's not righteous. That doesn't even, that's not even close to righteousness. <clears throat> so God's righteousness is the actual definition of righteousness itself. So this is a scary proposition because if, Abra- if God is the measure of righteousness and Abraham's righteousness is not great enough to measure up to God, because remember, he can't boast. He can't boast to God, can he? He's not greater. He's not equal. If Abraham's righteousness is not great enough to measure up to God, the definition of righteousness, then what in reality is Abraham's righteousness? What is it? What is our righteousness, even on our best day? It's filthy. It's filthy rags. It's unrighteousness. So this whole argument of conclusions. Is Abraham righteous? Sure he is. Why? Because Scripture says so. True, we got to deal with that. Is Abraham righteous? Yes. Well, how did he get that way? He worked hard. Well, really? Well, can he boast about it? Would it be appropriate for him to do so? Because if he did it himself, it would be. Well, I don't know. Well, can he boast about it before God? God's the definition of righteousness. Well, no, we can't boast about it before God because God's more righteousness. God's more righteous than him. Well, if God's more righteous than him and God's the definition of righteousness, then that means Abraham's not righteous. He doesn't hit the bar. When compared to God, Abraham's works put him in the exact same category as the rest of us. A dirty, rotten sinner. That's right, every one of y'all in those pews are dirty, rotten sinners. So is the guy behind the pulpit. Every single one of us. Cradle to grave. Sinners. Doesn't matter how hard you try. Doesn't matter how hard you work. From from those of you who use your Bible as coasters to those of you who read your Bible twice a day. You're sinners. I'm a sinner. You can't do it. Now what's really scary is in verse 4, Paul says, Now to him who works, the wages aren't counted as grace, but as debt. When you, when you go to work, and you do your job, at the end of the day, does your boss come up to you 
and just shake your hand and say, thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing exactly what I'm paying you to do. Thank you for that. No. Why does your boss not do that? Because you're not graciously doing it for him, are you? You're not graciously doing that for her. You're doing that because your boss now owes you what? Paycheck. That your wages are counted as debt. That your boss has got to pay you. Or there's a lawsuit probably coming. In most cases. It's not, it's not, you're not just doing it out of the goodness of your heart. Well, Abraham hadn't been at work working righteousness. He's been at work working what? We just determined this. What's he been working? If it's not righteousness, it's unrighteousness. What's another word for unrighteousness, y'all? Sin. Well, unfortunately, Romans 6.23 tells us what the wages for that kind of work is. First half of Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. But wait a minute, that's not what Abraham got. You are right. He got blessing. He got grace. He got mercy. He got the covenant promises. He got guaranteed that every family of the earth would be blessed through him. But you know what? He didn't get it because he didn't get it because he worked really hard. He didn't get it because he tried. He didn't get it because he got really serious about his walk with the Lord. He didn't get it because he came down to the altar and cried. He didn't get it because he prayed 15, 16, 17 times because he was worried he didn't say the words right. He didn't get it because his name was on a church roll somewhere or because he never missed Sunday school. He didn't get it because he helped the little lady across the street. He didn't get it, get it because he visited the nursing home twice a week. He didn't get it because he did this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Abraham was a dirty, rotten sinner that couldn't get anything right even if he tried. Just like the rest of us. And yet, Scripture says he was righteous. We got to figure that one out, y'all. Because however he got it, that's the way we're going to have to get it. Because I certainly feel like Abraham had a better handle on this whole walking with God thing than me. And if he couldn't get it by working hard, I sure can't. Righteousness that is less than God's is actually unrighteous. Unrighteousness earns us something, but y'all, it ain't nothing good. If you think you're going to earn your salvation... Scripture says no. If you think you're going to earn God's happiness, Scripture says you can't. If you think you, you are going to just blood, sweat, and tears your way into heaven, let me tell you something. Blood's going to get you into heaven, but it's not going to be your blood, sweat, and tears. It's going to have to be somebody else's because yours can't do it. If you have been looking at your Christianity for five minutes Five years, five decades as this book is a list of rules and regulations. And if I keep them and I try really, really, really hard, then maybe when I stand in front of God, he'll say, you know what? It wasn't perfect, but I'm going to give you credit for trying. If that's your idea 
about how you're going to stand in the presence of God unashamed with a home in heaven waiting for you and the promise that you get to walk and live on the, in the new earth when God makes it again? If you think that's going to be your ticket to eternal life, man, I hate to disappoint you. Because you can't earn it. And it makes me so sad. It makes me so sad that people spend their whole lives trying to earn God's favor. Y'all, that will depress you. That will break you. That will give you anxiety. I'm worried that I hadn't done enough. I'm worried that I'm not good enough. I'm worried that God's not going to be happy with me because I did that. You don't have to worry about it. You're not good enough. You haven't done enough. God's not going to be happy with you based on how hard you tried. But praise God, He'll be happy with you based on what somebody else did. It really is that simple. God doesn't owe you anything based on your works, but oh, He'll offer you everything for your belief. Look at verse 3. I know I skipped three. Y'all thought I missed it, but no, I'm coming back to it. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham what? Believed. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I'm about to mess this up. And she doesn't know this, but my wife's going to have to help me. Yeah, you are on the spot. You can do this because you do this with me on a regular basis. So, so she's an accountant, right? Debits and credits. <clears throat> she's already laughing. She knows. So from our perspective, when I get debited something, I'm giving something away. Right? Like I am, you know, a debit card, you swipe it, somebody takes money out of your bank account. But when you return something to the store, what do you get? You get a credit. I'm about to get this right, aren't I? I'm so excited. This is like the first time in five years I've gotten it. So a debit is when somebody takes something from you, and a credit is when you get something back. But from the business's perspective... A debit is when they receive something, and a credit is when they give it away. Did I get it? Oh my goodness. So in this particular verse, who's doing the debiting and who's doing the crediting? Abraham, he's not debiting anything from our perspective. He's getting a credit. That he doesn't have anything that he can pay God. Remember? He has no righteousness. There's no debit involved. But somebody is giving a credit. God is. He believed God and it was accounted to him. Credited to him. 
imputed to him, given to him as righteousness. Purely because Abraham took God at his word and believed him. He didn't keep a set of rules. He didn't pay a certain amount of money. He didn't have a certain attendance record. He didn't pray a specific prayer with specific words. He didn't go to X number of youth camps. He didn't go on X number of mission trips. God said, Abraham, I'm going to do this. And Abraham said, I believe you. And God said, because you believe me, I am accounting you righteousness. I'm crediting it to you. I'm giving it to you. Now there's a contrast here. If you look at verse if you look at verse 3, it says for what does the scripture say? That Paul is pointing out Abraham didn't get his righteousness the way we often think he did. It's different. Look at verse 5. What's the first word in verse 5? But. But is a contrast word. But means whatever came before it, what comes after it is different. So Paul spent all this time talking about, well, Abraham didn't get this by works, but to him who does not work, Say, well, wait a minute. Sometimes belief is work, not to Paul. Belief is very different from work. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the... (coughs) Justifies the what? Ungodly. Who's Paul talking about? Who is his illustration in these verses? Abraham. Abraham the ungodly. How dare you? Well, you just admitted yourself by argument that Abraham's works weren't enough. Abraham was even ungodly. In fact, I didn't put this on your handout, but you can go to Ezekiel 16. Read it on your own time. I don't want to explain all the imagery that's in it right now because there are kids in the room. But lest the Jews go back and say, well, our father was Abraham. We're not these dirty Gentile people. We're a special people. At the beginning of Ezekiel 16, God goes, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, get off your high horse. Your daddy was an Amorite and your mama was a Hittite. You're just like all these other folks. I created you as a new people. I called you out from folks around you who were just like you. The only thing that makes you different is me. Abraham wasn't special. He was just like everybody else around him. Abraham the ungodly, but to him who does not work, but believes on him, God, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. How can God do that? As David says, now if y'all were here last week, y'all will remember this. We did Psalm 32. That's exactly what Paul's quoting from here. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed is the man whose lawless deeds are forgiven. There are deeds, but they are what? Lawless. 
And whose what is covered? Sins. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute. Sin. That this man in Psalm 32 is guilty. And he confesses his sin to God. He admits his sin to God. He asks for the mercy of God. And God forgives him. Now how can, how can God do that? Because I thought God was the righteous judge, right? If God is a righteous judge, that means when he sees sin, it's got to be punished. Well, sin was punished. Let me tell you about a man named Jesus. See, we walk around this earth having the commands of God. We've got them. We can, you can sit down, you can read them, you can look at them anytime you want. And when you look in the mirror, you will not see a you that reflects this. Because every single day we get up and we sin. We get up and we disobey. We get up and don't believe. We get up and don't trust. We get up and don't do anything like we're supposed to be doing. And so we don't bear the image of God like He created us to do. Not holy. But God Himself took on flesh and came to this earth one time and lived this out so much so that John said He was the Word made flesh. He was this wrapped up in skin, in bone, in muscle, in organ, with blood, real human blood, pumping through real human veins, thinking with a real human brain, and breathing with real human lungs, and walking on real human feet. That He took on flesh and came down here and lived this out perfectly. He had real righteousness and what did God do with him took all of our unrighteousness and laid it on his back on the cross and slew his only son so that what so that the guilty could go free our sin was put on the one who had no sin so that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And God slayed it in him. And because God did that, now we can become the righteousness of God. All our sin was put on him. All his righteousness was given to us. So that when you come to God and say, God, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner. God looks down at you and he doesn't see your sin anymore because it was on Jesus. He sees Jesus' righteousness because Jesus credits it, imputes it, accounts it to you. How can I have that? What do I have to do? Uh-uh-uh. You're thinking like works again. We only read the first half of Romans 6.23. What happens if you read the second half? For the wages of sin is what, church? But. Remember, but's a contrast word. Whatever comes after it's very different from what came before it. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how you get it. That's how you get your righteousness. That's how you get your eternal life. That's how you get the favor of God. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you've earned it, whether or not you've worked for it. It has everything to do with the fact that Jesus worked for it and earned it for you and gives it to you, not for free. It costs Him everything, but for you. All you got to do is ask. 
All I've got to do. He'll change your heart like that. He'll give you new life like that. He'll give you a fresh start like that. Pastor, I can't even wait for the invitation. Then don't. Ask Jesus to save you right there in the pew. You don't need me. I'd like you to come tell me about it so that we can walk with you and disciple you and help you grow. But I'm your pastor. I'm not your priest. You look at God and say, God, I'm a sinner, but I want that gift. I want that righteousness. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Y'all, I don't have anything I can boast to y'all about. I can't brag about it. I can't, I can't put it on a t-shirt. I can't put it on a sign. I can't do any of that. But I'll tell you who I'll boast about. I'll boast about Jesus who came down here and who did everything for me and who did everything for you. You say, well, wait a minute, Josh. Are you telling me that I can be saved and I'm not expected to live righteously because 